0: button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we've got Laura Vanderkam back on the show. She first appeared on Yap over two years ago for episode number four, where we covered all things time management. Laura is a journalist, the author of several productivity books, a podcast host, successful blogger, and a mother of five children. With this much on her plate, it's no wonder she's known for being a leading time management and productivity expert. Laura's TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed over 11 million times. Her work has been featured in major publications like The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. And she's also appeared on television shows like The Today Show, CBS This Morning, and most recently, The Drew Barrymore Show. In today's episode, we go deep on Laura's latest book, The New Corner Office, How the Most Successful People Work From Home. In our conversation, we discuss the benefits of having a routine and work rituals, how to cultivate an ideal work-from-home environment using to-do lists instead of to-do lists, and so much more. Hey, Laura, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So for for those of our listeners who are new listeners, Laura was actually my fourth episode. So way back two years ago, she was actually my first interview. Uh, Previous to that, I would have like four or five people and kind of chop it up and put narration. And Laura was my first real proper interview episode and people loved that episode and it gave me motivation to keep going in that interview style. So Laura, thank you so much for taking a chance on me way back <laughs>
1: when. Wow. I mean, I'm thrilled that that, you know, I knew you when, Hey, that's great. I
0: know. And, and it's like, you know, I'm so thankful for all, cause you were a big name back then. You were still like, you know, a best-selling author. You had a lot of different books and podcasts already and you took a chance on me. So I'm, always grateful for the people who took a chance on me and I always invite them back to the show, you know, the first 20 people who took a chance on me. So welcome back. And we've grown a lot since you last came on.
1: (laughs) That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear it.
0: Yeah, so in our first episode together, episode number 4, it was called Level Up Your Time Management Skills. We really uncovered all your, you know, expertise and advice on time management. We talked about having 168 hours in the week and how everybody has that same amount of time. We talked about tracking your time, how to be, you know, most productive in your time. So, if anybody is interested in time management, go back to episode number 4. We really covered that in depth. So, this time I'm going to focus on your new topic which is really like working from home from what i understand so i want to dive deep into that and before i do that i want to you know ask you what have you been up to the past 2 years since you last came on the show what have you been studying what have you been doing
1: yeah so i did um you know like many people we wound up spending a lot more time at home over the last year and i Thought that a lot of other people would be experiencing this and wondering, what do I do with this? How do I plan my days? How do I stay productive? How do I deal with distractions? How can I sort of think of my career long term if I'm going to be working from home and the, the sort of normal rules of the office don't apply? And so I wrote a book called The New Corner Office, which, you know, looks at exactly that question, right? Like, how can we work productively and ambitiously from home? And then, you know, doing the normal podcasting stuff, the, uh, you know, I had a, had another baby a year ago or so. Oh my <laughs> so gosh, that's number things. five. Now? Number five for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, I really want to focus this episode on your work from home content. I think it's really valuable for my listeners. I think most of my listeners are working from home right now. And so it's the perfect topic. So let's start off with routines. What is the, you know, benefit of having a rhythm and routine, and what's your advice in terms of designing a routine that works best for us?
1: Well, the upside of working from home is you tend to have a lot more control over your schedule than you might if you're in an office. Um, even offices that are very flexible, there's sort of a certain time we're expected to be there, and certain things you're expected to do while you're there, and it's not that you're going to get fired for leaving in the middle, but, you know, people wonder where you're going. Uh, Whereas if you are working from home, you have a lot more autonomy over these things. And so the upside is you can experiment. The downside is that you have to be responsible for figuring out a rhythm that works for you. And so I tell people to kind of look at their time. We've talked about time tracking in the past, but uh, keeping track of how you're spending your time. Partly so you can learn, when are you most focused? When are you most productive? And that's both you personally, but then if you're dealing with anything like kids remote schooling or anything like that, what time is available to you and what time is not available to you? Because if you know what time is available, then you can make the most of it. Whereas if you're sort of still trying to figure this out, it's, it's going to be very difficult. But think about what your workday can look like to maximize your use of focused time, you want to build in an appropriate number of breaks so you can manage your energy. Think about what you do during those breaks in order to actually be rejuvenated. So not just surf in the web, but maybe get up and go for a walk or, you know, go talk, call a friend or something like that. And then most importantly, come up with a way to end your day. Because one of the biggest problems people have with working from home is, is not that they're going to watch Netflix. Like, people don't really do that. Like, you know, there was this worry, oh, everyone's going to watch Netflix all day. Like that, No, professionals don't really do that. The bigger issue is that people don't know when to stop. Um, because if you can see your laptop all evening, like, you'd be like, I should be working. But, like, you're not getting anything done because you're tired. And so you're, like, half working and half not working. You're not relaxed. You're not getting anything done. It's really the worst of all worlds. Um, so come up with a way. To indicate that your day is done, at least for now, and have that kind of goodbye every day, you know, whether it's writing your to-do list for tomorrow, going for a fake commute, like walking around the block, but something to give yourself a little bit of permission to relax.
0: Yeah. And so you just brought up a fake commute. Let's talk about the start of our day. I had an episode recently where I talked about self-care and I gave the advice to go on a mock commute. So waking up, going around the block, walking your dog even, just going outside, getting some vitamin D or even just like walking up your stairs if you live in an apartment building and don't want to go outside, but just something to kind of trigger the start of your day. So what is your opinion on a mock commute?
1: I think it's a great idea for many people, especially if you are relatively new to working from home. You've only been doing it for the last year or so. And the reason is that some people have, in fact, many people have more of a mental separation between home life and work life. And if you feel, if you go very quickly from one to the other or go back and forth between the two, you can feel a little bit just jarred. It doesn't feel quite right or you have trouble getting into the mindset for it. And if that is the case for you, it's not the case for everybody, but if it is the case for you, then it helps to put at least some separation between the two so your brain knows that, okay, I am in work mode now or later in the day, I'm in home mode now. Um, and, And, you know, nobody really likes commutes. I mean, everyone hated commuting back when this was but more of a thing that people did. But the one upside is it does introduce that obvious separation. So a mock commute is something that's much shorter and more pleasant, but still introduces that same separation. So yeah, the idea of walking your dog or running a quick errand or, you know, going for a little walk, doing something that would you know get you moving. But it can be as simple as having a ritual, like you always go and make your coffee, you have your mug that has some sort of fire you up kind of saying on it I don't know but take that into your workspace sit down and have something you do first right that could be a way to get that same idea of a ritual that starts your day
0: yeah and so how about getting dressed like do you recommend when we're you know starting our day a lot of people are wearing pajama pants and going on these zoom calls and they're just dressing from the top up like what is your advice in terms of dressing because I've heard all different kinds of advice here what's your your advice on that
1: well, I probably wouldn't wear pajama pants just in case you had to like get up to do something while you're on the Zoom call, <laughs> and people are like, wait, those are fluffy pajama pants. <laughs> you know, that's that's interesting, and that maybe not the the impression you are wishing to convey in that particular Zoom call. But I'm I'm certainly totally cool with wearing jeans or even like dark stretch pants or something, something that's not going to look ridiculous if you wind up standing up and people can see you. But Uh, You can certainly be comfortable. I don't wear shoes. Like, I know there's certainly a school of thought that's like, well, you need to wear shoes to be in work mode. I don't think that's the case. I, I think that being comfortable is great. However, you probably don't want to be sloppy just because of people seeing you. So come up with that sweet spot between looking presentable on Zoom, but, you know, not feeling like you are pinching your feet into high heels. Like, isn't that wonderful that people have not had to do that for the last year?
0: I haven't worn heels in so long. And to your point, I think the only shoes I ever wear is like Uggs to just like go outside. I don't wear shoes either. So, and I'm plenty productive. So I I agree. You don't need to wear shoes to be productive.
1: And people might see your pants if you stand up, but like they're not going to see your feet. So you really don't need to worry about that part.
0: Just a nice pair of comfy socks is all you need. exactly. Okay, so I also know that you talk about something called a Monday morning ritual. So what's a, what's a Monday morning ritual? What can we do there? You talked about it on one of your podcast
1: episodes. Oh boy, I'm trying to remember what I said now. Oh, but I, I think Well, here, here's, if I'm gonna guess what past Laura might've been expounding on, I think Monday mornings are actually a really good time to carve out for your biggest value work. Um, and ideally stuff that's more speculative because it's how you are going to start your week, with this, this thing that's going to fire you up. You're thinking about your career long-term. It's stuff you don't have to do, but you would really like to do. Now, the problem that happens is mostly people have this speculative stuff. They're like, oh yeah, this would really advance my career. I really should make time for this. And then the time they carve out is like Friday at 3 p.m. Like you are not going to do it at Friday at 3 p.m. Like let's just be honest, right? You're, you're going to slide into the weekend at that point. Or, you know, they carve out a time. And it's like, okay, if I get all my other work done on Thursday, then I'll, I'll look at this. Again, not going to happen. Dedicating Monday morning to that is when you are at your freshest, when you are starting everything off. It will probably happen. Um, because the work week emergencies probably have not yet arisen at like 8 a.m. on Monday. Um, so I would suggest starting your week with that really big, important speculative work that you otherwise will not make time for. And if you do this week after week, you'll make a lot of progress in your career.
0: I love that. So basically like schedule your most important tasks for the week on Monday before the emergencies come up. So in your book, you talk about resisting the need to respond to all the urgent matters right away, right? So talk to us about that. Like, how, how do we need to change our mindset in terms of responding to all the fires at work? And how is it different now that we're we're living, you know, in in COVID and working from home?
1: Well, I think people are becoming a little bit more comfortable with this idea that they don't have to respond to everything in two seconds. But certainly in the first few weeks of working from home, There was that idea, like, oh, my boss is going to think I'm watching Netflix if I don't respond immediately. And so people would just not get out of their inbox their entire day. And I understand the impulse or to answer all Slack messages or whatever within five seconds of them coming in. But there's a trade off. Like, there's an opportunity cost for being this responsive, which is that you don't have time for that deep, focused work, which is probably what you were hired to do in the first place. Like, you are probably not hired because of your rapid email response time. Like, you are probably hired because there is something that you are an expert in that you do very well um, that your organization would like you to spend your time doing. And again, my guess is that is not being in your inbox all day. So if that is the case, then every time you are spending hours in your inbox responding to everything, you are not spending hours doing those other things. And so there's a huge opportunity cost for that. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be responsive. Like, yes, you should be responsive. And especially when we are working from home, we can become a real bottleneck if we, like, we're like. we just like, okay, well, I'm going to stop checking email completely. Like, don't do that. Because then whole projects will grind to a halt as everyone is waiting for your response. But there is a big difference between, let's say, checking once an hour or once every 90 minutes or once every two hours for, you know, 10, 15 minutes responding to anything that is urgent at that point, And then being off email again for another hour. Like there's almost nothing that has to be responded to in less than an hour. If there is, then the person needs to call you. Right. Uh, if it's, if it's email, then by definition, they are not expecting a response in, I mean, they may, they may be, but they shouldn't be in an hour. So, Give yourself that hour out of your inbox, that hour when you are not being responsive, when you can be more proactive, and you'll be getting a lot more done.
0: And do you think that hour on, hour off, doesn't it take a little bit of time to kind of get settled in our work? I would recommend, and maybe you disagree, kind of batching checking your email when you're feeling like drained or like maybe right after you eat or something like that so that you can kind of batch that when you're not at your peak performance.
1: Well, I agree. And my hour off email and then check an hour off and then check um, is more based on an improvement for people who are in constantly. If that is not you, if you don't suffer from that issue, then by all means, take as much time off as you can, right? So maybe check it once in mid-morning, like once around lunch, once in mid-afternoon, once before you leave for the day. Like four times a day would actually be great. Um, I think that's more than enough email checks for for most people, and that will allow you to have you know ninety minutes or more of focused time for any sort of work. I would say that most people can't go more than about two hours focused on just about anything. You're going to take some sort of break, whether it's just you know getting a drink of water, going to the bathroom, quick looking at something else. We can't stay focused for you know six hours on on one thing, so. It doesn't have to be less than every two to three hours to, to check your email.
0: And I, I need to take my own advice because I'm the type of person who always checks my email, always checks Slack, like every second. It's just ADD, I think, honestly. <laughs> I need to take my own advice.
1: Well, it's so, you know, appealing because it's like, oh, I'm doing something productive or I'm deleting emails. Look, I did something. I deleted emails. I mean, it didn't really do anything, but it feels like it.
0: Exactly. Um, So the title of your book is The New Corner Office. Describe to us what your work environment like is at home and what is the best way to design a work environment to make us as productive as possible.
1: Yes. Well, I have a corner office. It's a corner of my house. Um, I've worked in this office the entire time I've lived in this house. I mean, if you are going to work from home long term, you really do need some sort of dedicated space with a window and a door that closes. And I'm not saying that it has to be a full-scale home office with like gorgeous built-in bookcases and a full, you know, Zoom studio or anything like that. But you need some place where you can expect that it will be quiet and where you can focus and where you, you know, have your stuff uh, that that you use. If that means moving, it might mean moving if you plan to do this long-term. The upside Of the current environment is that many more people are going to be able to work from home at least two to three days per week in the future, which means that you don't have to limit your sites of where you're going to live to the same narrow radius you might have had to in the past. So possibly you'd be able to find something that's, you know, larger, that's got a home office um, in your budget because you aren't going to have to commute five days a week to the, the place that you were previously doing that for. You know, Windows, are good. You need some natural light. Otherwise you'll just feel like you're stuck in a closet all day. You know, something that's comfortable. It is definitely worth getting your chair right, getting your desk height right. Because, you know, if you work in work from home just a couple hours a week or one day a week, eh, whatever. You know, the the problem isn't so bad because you won't be there that long. But once you start working 40, 50 hours a week in the same spot, any small problems are going to get magnified so many times over. So it is worth, you know, figuring out the ergonomics, making sure that you are comfortable, feel like you are in a neutral position. And then, you know, you can make it into your happy place and in a way that you really can't in a cubicle at work. I mean, if there are things you wish to be looking at out that window, well, you could probably make that happen in a way that you just can't in like an office park, right? Like you are not in charge of the landscaping, (laughs) whereas you are at home. You know, you can put the decor as you want, like whatever makes you happy, keep the temperature where you want it. I mean, this is, that's a real big win. I always would freeze in office buildings because it's so overly air conditioned in summer. And, you know, I don't have to do that in my home office. And you know, if you like special scents, even that's the kind of thing, like you're not going to make it spell like gardenia blossom candle in your office um, at a, a corporate office, but in your home office, I mean, if that's your, your power scent, why not?
0: I totally agree. And I think it's important that wherever you work is kind of separated from where you relax, right? So like try to avoid where you watch TV and kind of unwind for the day is, is what I would say, right? You don't want to be working where you relax.
1: Yeah. And, and not because you're going to be tempted to relax during work hours, because most of the time that's not actually the problem. It's that you're going to be tempted to work during the time you've set aside to relax. So yeah, as much as possible. I know a lot of people just grab the kitchen table because it was the first thing that were like, oh, it's a flat surface. Let me put my laptop there. But then you're in the center of everything. And so it's a lot harder to have some privacy, have Quiet um, people come to you for stuff if there's other people in the house because you look like you're available. Um, so, you want to make yourself look less available. So, coming up with some spot that is a bit more separated from everyone else is is really key as much as you can pull that off.
0: Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn, and I love to teach sales. So you just basically brought up distractions, right? And you're a mother of five, which is, that's a lot to handle while working from home. And I think you've been working from home for quite a while since before COVID, right? So what have you learned in terms of minimizing distractions?
1: Well, the key thing is that anyone who is too young to care for themselves needs somebody else to care for them. Um, You cannot be the adult in charge of young children during the hours you plan to work. Now, nothing about COVID has changed that. It's just made it a lot harder to pull off since a lot of people's you know, schools have been closed or daycare situations have not been available. Um, and so people have been trying to do both at the same time. And just as I would always tell people in the past who were saying, Oh, I'd like to work from home. Is this a way to save money on childcare? I'd be like, No, you're going to feel harried and frazzled and pulled in a million directions at once. And like, guess what? <laughs> people who are doing it now without childcare feel harried and frazzled and pulled in a million directions at once. So the question is, well, what can you do about that? I definitely think that if you have young kids at home, it would behoove you to hire someone in some sort of situation that you could make work, um, that you could trust in terms of quarantine bubbling together. There might be money that you're not spending on commuting and traveling and things like that to get at least a few hours a day for focused work. Um, If that's not going to happen, if you have two parents working at home, the two of you should formally trade off, right? Like one person has the morning, one person has the afternoon or however you want to work it. But rather than having your kids come to each of you and all of you getting distracted at different points or feeling like, is this fair? Like she was, you know, distracted less than I was today or whatever, you know, just say, okay, this person is in charge of the kids in the morning. This person is in charge of the kids in the afternoon. When you're not in charge, that is your focused drill down work time. You know it is available. You also know not to schedule anything important during the time when you are in charge of your kids. And I
0: want to talk about productivity and to-do lists for a minute. So you are an advocate of very short to-do lists. You say three to five items max, and you also sometimes call it a to da list, and you got that from Gretchen Rubin, so I thought that was really cute. So tell us about the to da list. Why keep it just three to five items max?
1: Well, the idea of having a short to-do list is that you want your to-do list to represent things that you actually intend to do. And unfortunately, people wind up making these like 50 item to do lists, like you're not going to get through 50 items in a day. But the question is, well, which ones are you going to get through? Right? Like, is it going to be the easiest ones, the ones that were screaming loudest, the first ones you saw? I don't know. But the odds that the ones that you do get through were the ones that absolutely had to happen today, um, and were the most important are, are low. Whereas if you force yourself to prioritize to like five main things, like you will, in fact, get through them. Now people are like, that seems very short. Like this does not mean the stuff that you do every day. Like this does not mean like cook dinner is on the list for your five things for the day. It's not, you know, if you always post something on your blog, I would say that's probably not something you'd put on your list of five things because anything that's a routine, that's a habit. Um, if you always check your email at 11 a.m., like that doesn't need to go on the to-do list for the day. This is, this is things that are discrete tasks that are important enough to become a contract with yourself that you will get through by the end of the day. But when it is short, then you can get through it. And you start to develop this real trust in yourself that, yes, if I put it on the to-do list, it is going to happen. And the only way you can make sure of that is to keep it short because guess what? Stuff is going to come up. Things are gonna happen, things are gonna go wrong. People are like, oh, well, I couldn't get through everything on my to-do list because stuff happened this afternoon. New things landed on my lap. It's like, oh, imagine that. (laughs) When has that ever not happened, right? Whereas if you know you've decided these three things absolutely do have to happen, well, you probably will get to those three things even when the new stuff lands on your lap too or even if you get called away for a personal emergency at like 2 p.m., right? You still will have been able to get through the very limited list and that's why you wanna make it very, very short. The to-do list part is more that at the end of the day, it's helpful to know, well, what have I done? And ideally, this both matches the to-do list that you created, you know, for the day. And then you can also add anything that you did that came up in the course of the day and then celebrate that those accomplishments happened as well.
0: I love that because usually, you know, we spend time prioritizing our tasks in the day in the day, like in the beginning of the day, but we don't really go back and say like, what did I accomplish today? And kind of celebrate those small wins. And I think that's probably really important mentally to kind of keep you motivated to do the same thing tomorrow and crush all your, your goals.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, when you get through what you have set out to do, you feel this incredible sense of progress because you don't have to keep shoving things forward to the next day. Like, oh, I didn't do that again. Let me move it to Thursday. Oh, well, didn't do it again. Move it to Friday. Oh, once it's on the list, it's done. And then you can move on to the next stuff. And so in fact, you wind up getting more done with a short list because once things have been done, you can move on to the next thing as opposed to having them continually resurrect themselves day after day after day.
0: And how about like prioritizing all of our things that we need to do? So you say do write down three major things that we need to do every day, three to five major things. But I know all of us probably have 50, 60, 100 things that we have to get done. So what's your advice there in terms of like having all your tasks in one place and then prioritizing them? Like, do you have a system that you personally use?
1: Well, you could have, you know, David Allen, um, the productivity author, has what he calls a someday maybe list. And so this is a kind of list of anything that's going on in your life. And certainly if you have lots of different projects going on, you could make a list of that somewhere too. Um, I plan my life in weeks. I heartily recommend this. Um, and I have a weekly priority list of all the things I need to sort of get to in the course of the week. And then I pull my daily tasks from that list. And so, you know, I've got five things for Monday. Well, that's not everything I have to do in the week, but it's five that are then done. And then I know that there's a time on Tuesday for other parts of my weekly tasks. And, and so sometimes I will go ahead and make the entire week's to-do lists at once. Like when I plan my weeks on Friday afternoons, I look at what's coming up in the following week. What are my big tasks? All my different projects, where do they stand? The spinning plates, like what what's going to need me to push it? What's spinning without my help? What stops spinning entirely that I, you know, need to do? What new plates do I want to add? And so then I'm sort of running through all my different tasks and, you know, spheres of of influence and figuring out, well, what needs to happen in the next week. And then I can break that down into the shorter list for each day. You know, I never make the entire weeks to do this because, again, stuff comes up and I won't know everything that I need to do on Thursday by Friday, the week before. But I can usually set at least Monday and Tuesday and half of Wednesday. And if I do that, well, now I've got, I know when most of the major stuff of the week will happen. And so there's space when things do come up too.
0: And so you plan out your week on Fridays. Is there a reason why you do that?
1: There is. <laughs> um, I think Friday is a really good time for it. Partly it's because most people aren't doing much of consequence on Friday, particularly Friday afternoon. We're kind of f- sliding into the weekend at that point. It is very difficult to start anything new. So it's often wasted time. Like you're just sort of hanging around until it's like okay to leave or, or okay to shut your laptop down these days. So if it would be wasted time, there's no opportunity cost to now rework it for planning time. So let's make it planning time. A lot of people use Monday mornings, but the problem is when we show up at work Monday morning, we're in like go time. We have the most energy we will have for the week. So that's a good time to do that speculative stuff we were talking about. It's not a good time to plan because there's a bigger opportunity cost for Monday morning than there is for for Friday afternoon. Another reason is that, you know, some people plan Sunday night. I know that's another popular time, but other people may not be at their desks on friday night so if you need to you know set up a meeting or get something from somebody to make the next week work the odds are pretty good they are still at their desk at friday afternoon whereas you know sunday evening at 8 p.m. you realize you want to set something up like why is that person at their desk like they they're not doing that so um, it's it's just in business hours which is often helpful if you need to do things that require you know reaching out during business hours and then finally planning on friday for the week ahead allows us to think about our weekends. Like if you, you know, haven't really made a plan for your weekend or thought about what you'd like to do on the weekend, you know, having a little time on Friday afternoon to say, okay, well, what would be fun? Like, what would I like to make happen? Any logistics that need to occur? Well, now you've done it. And so you're going to have a lot more fun than if you sort of wait until Saturday morning and when nobody feels like doing anything Saturday morning and then nothing winds up happening.
0: I think this is excellent advice to everybody listening. So use your to list to end your day and kind of close off your day. And then Friday you've got your planning. And that also kind of signifies that the work week is over and you can like go into the weekend, like fully, you know, knowing that you've got everything planned for the next week and you can kind of close that off, shut that out of your mind and just enjoy the weekend. Uh, Cause I think part of the problem in COVID is just like, you know, everybody's just on this wheel and doesn't know when to stop working.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, it happens. It's good to have some demarcation and make days a little different from each other too. I encourage people to plan at least some sort of mini adventures into your life. Um, And I know it's a lot harder these days, but maybe it's something like streaming a concert or going for a walk someplace new, but anything that will shake up your routine a little bit. Routines are great, but if life is nothing but routine... Um, the days don't stand out for each other. So you want to do, you know, a little thing here and there that's a little bit out of the ordinary and makes you feel a little bit less like you're in a rut. And, you know, spend some time thinking about what those things will be and life will feel a little bit more adventurous.
0: So I know that you're a proponent of thinking big and you talk about like bucket lists and you've got this like list of hundred dreams, right? Tell us about that. Why is it important to kind of visualize your future, to think about the things you want to accomplish and work in your life? And how does that actually help us move closer to our goals?
1: Well, I think it just helps our brains focus on what might be cool to do. We have time in life, like everybody has some amount of discretionary time, but the problem is if we don't think we have a whole lot of time. Well, we don't think about what we'd like to do with our time. And so then when time does appear, we're kind of like, ah, oh, just do whatever's easiest. This is why people spend the majority of their leisure time watching TV or surfing the web, because it's the easiest thing to do. Um, it requires very little effort, whereas, you know, other things require more effort. And so we have to plan ahead, and so we don't do them. Um, making a, a list of 100 dreams, which is an exercise I got from a career coach named Caroline Sinisa Levine, is an unedited list of anything you might want to spend more time doing in your life. So 100 items is, I mean, it's a bucket list, but nobody puts 100 items on their bucket list. I mean, people stop at like 20, (laughs) and then they don't come back to it, right? Because it's not something that, they're like, oh, yeah, I should make a bucket list. And then you kind of do, and then you stop, and then, you know, that's the end of it. But 100 items, aiming for 100 items, you not only get, like, those 30 countries you want to visit, like, that's going to be the first 30, but then after that you start thinking a little bit more about, like, oh, you know, there's that park that's an hour away from us that we've, you know, never visited, or I'd love to try this restaurant, or I'd like to learn to make a good souffle, or I would like to uh, try watercolors or buy an adult coloring book or a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, there start to be very small things that are actually quite doable, right? Because if you're like, I want to do a puzzle. Well, guess what? You can make that happen very, very quickly. Um, You can, you know, buy one and be delivered in two days or whatever and, you know, your leisure time over the next weekend can be spent putting together this thousand-piece puzzle. You want to make an unedited list because we often talk ourselves out of things. Like, this is not a contract. Unlike your to-do list, this list of 100 dreams is not a contract with yourself at all. It's just things that might be cool. Maybe you'll do it, maybe you won't. Um, Maybe you'll try things on it and decide you hate them. Good to know. Don't have to keep worrying about that anymore. But, you know, it gives the an answer to the question of like, well, what should I do? I have some time. What would I like to do with it? You know, I have a little time at night after the kids go to bed or we have some time this weekend or we have a vacation coming up. What should we do? Um, And so you're not racking your brain in that moment when you realize there is time about what you want to do with the time.
0: So before we move on to the next topic, which is really about fostering connection in COVID and COVID and having good culture and things like that, is there anything that you didn't cover that you want to, you know, tell my listeners in regards to productivity or time management when it comes to working from home?
1: I think we covered a lot. You know, I think with all everything, it's helpful to try tracking your time for a couple of days or a week, ideally, um, just so you get a sense of what the rhythm of your life looks like, and then you can decide what you like and what you don't like, and, and that's just a very helpful place to be operating from.
0: I guess you just reminded me of one more question that I have for you: is you mentioned designing like your ideal week, right? Why is designing your ideal week an important thing to do, in your opinion?
1: Well, you know, we often think about ideal days too, but an ideal, a week is the cycle of life as we actually live it. So thinking about the whole of the week allows you both to think about, you know, the work week and things you'd like to do that maybe don't have to happen daily, but might be nice to have once or twice a week in your life. Um, It also lets you think about what an ideal weekend would look like, what sort of a formula for a good weekend would look like for you. You know, maybe there are things that you want to do, like you want to wake up twice during the week early to exercise. But, you know, it's not every day. And so if you were designing an ideal day, it would be hard to figure out what that would be. But um, when you look at the whole week, you can could, you could see something that's a little bit more reminiscent of the life that you will actually be living. Um, but by thinking about how you'd like to spend your time, you empower yourself to get your actual schedule closer to it. So that's, that's why we want to figure out what an ideal week would look like.
0: So like, for example, you could say, I want to work out three times a week and I want to work out in the morning. I want to talk to my friends five times in an ideal week and kind of like know all the big things that you want to do and kind of the general timeframes and then map that out. And as you schedule your life, keep that in mind. I think all of this stuff is such great advice. It's just basically taking a step back, you know, slowing down to speed up essentially so that you can live the life that you most want to live.
1: It is so hard to do that with time, though, because time keeps passing regardless of what you do. And so it's very hard to take yourself outside of it and then make conscious choices about how to direct it. But that's why we build in these like weekly planning times or, you know, to have a little m- moment to think about what my ideal week would look like. Because when you're just moving from thing to thing, it's very hard to direct it. But if you can build in times where you do step outside of the flow for a little bit, then, then you're far more able to make conscious choices.
0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. So I recently became an entrepreneur. Uh, I was working at Disney Streaming Services and I, you know, I started an agency. So I was able to, you know, quit my full-time job, which has been very exciting. But one of the things that I realized at Disney as, you know, work from home started to progress is that the team morale just like went to the shitter. (laughs) I'm sorry for cursing. But like, even like, you know, for Christmas, nobody said like happy holidays to each other. Like there was just no team morale and everyone... Didn't really talk to each other anymore other than meetings. We just lost connection. And I feel like the team morale really went down the tube. So what's your advice there in terms of keeping employees engaged and fostering like healthy company cultures during this time?
1: Yeah, I'm really sorry that happened because it is definitely not inevitable. And this is just something that any of your listeners who are in management really need to think about is that your, your job is not just making sure that the work gets done. I mean, that's part of it. But you need people to do the work and you want people motivated to do the work. And the only way you'd have that is if people have a, a culture that they are plugged into and feel motivated to stay part of. They feel like other people are on their team and cheering them on. Um, so you can cultivate that recognizing that people aren't just their jobs. One thing that people can do is start all meetings with a few minutes of social time. And I know that people are like, "Whoa, I don't have time for that. That sounds like such a waste of time. My meetings take too long as it is, but you can put it on the agenda. Right. So it's not just like, you know, that awkward start of a zoom meeting where I was like, well, is everyone here? Can we actually start? Do I have to make some comment about the weather before I dive into the real stuff? Like actually put in, you know, five minutes at the start where everyone says, an answer to one guided question. And, you know, this is just a way for people to, A, you're hearing everyone's voice, which is good because you want a meeting to involve everyone's contributions. And so you're getting used to hearing everyone when that happens. Um, but just lets people talk a little bit about what's going on in their lives. So everyone knows where people stand at a given moment as they're about to collaborate together on something. You can do social activities uh, virtually. The key thing is they really have to be well facilitated. And honestly, professional social events should have been facilitated in the past. They just weren't because there's always the option to be like, okay, I'm just going to go buy my team drinks. Like, I don't have to think about it, right? I'll just take them all out for drinks. That's great. Like, or take them out for dinner. Yay. (laughs) You know, solve that problem. Whereas now you have to think about it a little bit more, but there's all kinds of things you can do. Very short, Fun Zoom things, you know, like playing Kahoot-type trivia games, um, you know, do scavenger hunts. Again, you keep it to 30 minutes, honestly, and you have a limited number of people on it. And Or if you're having a fun chit-chat, have it be guided. Like you've all read the same article and now you're discussing it together with one person leading. Or you've all read the same book. And now you're having a discussion with one person leading, but just, you know, building in things like that. And and then if, again, as a manager, it's your responsibility to reach out and see how people are doing, like get in the habit of calling people, like just picking up the phone and calling people so that you don't put the onus on them to reach out to you. Um, but also people know that they're not just going to hear from you when you're in trouble. Like it's, it's not that like, where's this report? <laughs> why why didn't this happen? It's like, Hey, how's everything going? I just want to check in, you know, see, like, did, how did you feel after that meeting yesterday? Like, what was your takeaway? Just, and then, you know, see how life is going and, and, and take that upon yourself to make sure that people as whole people feel successful.
0: And I love that you said like, not to wait, like be so worried about wasting a few minutes. And I think that really speaks to your perspective that time is abundant. And you, you always say that, you know, we should approach time with an abundance mindset? Why is that? Like, why, why is it more beneficial to look at time with an abundance mindset?
1: Well, you just make better choices. I mean, because if you are constantly feeling like there is no time for anything, like you feel rushed, you feel harried, you're not going to be open to opportunity because how could you take on any opportunities? There's no time, there's no space for anything, right? Whereas if you tell yourself, I have all the time I need for what is important to me, well, you know, we see what we choose to see. So if you're walking around with the story that I am harried, busy, rushed, starved for time, well, sure, you can find evidence of that. I'm sure we can all find evidence in our lives of, of moments that are starved for time, rushed, harried, whatever. But if you're walking around with the story that I do have time for the things that matter to me, then you're like, oh, hey, you know, I just got my kids in bed and I, you know, have a 90 minutes before I need to go to bed, I, I could read a book. I'm the kind of person who reads a book. Look at me, you know. (laughs) And uh, if same thing with that. The start of the meeting, it's like we have so much to get through. I have ten meetings today. How could I possibly spend time just chatting? But here's the thing: if you all trust each other and feel like you're happy together and going to have a great meeting because you all feel like you're in it together because of this five minutes of chit chat at the start, well, it's going to be a much better meeting. Like you may not have to have a second meeting because somebody like just resorted to total subterfuge over something that they weren't happy about on the previous meeting. Like it is so much better to invest the time in getting it right.
0: I completely agree. Well, this was such an awesome conversation. The last question I ask all my guests is what is your secret to profiting in life?
1: Well, I mean, profiting is having extra, you know, that there is more coming in than what is going out. And I think that this is a good way to think about our time as well, that we have more coming, more available to us, you know, and spending on things we would like to do than the things that sort of drain us and make us unhappy. And yes, there are things we have to do in life, but even so, like even if you absolutely hated your job and it was 40 hours a week, there are 168 hours in a week. And so if you slept eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours per week, seven times eight, 56. 40 hours for work, we still have 72 hours for other things. And so you could think of yourself as, you know, yes, I have this money, time going out for the work that I'm not thrilled about, but I have these 72 other hours that I can do other things with. Wow, what a profit, right? Or, you know, maybe I can change the work too. And then, then I look even more profitable because I have even more of my hours that I feel, you know, good about. And so getting yourself into a place where, where you feel happy about your hours is how you can profit in life.
0: Yeah. And to everyone listening, I highly recommend that you guys go check out episode number four. We talk about this a lot in terms of, you know, you have enough time for the things that you want to do. And honestly, Laura, I've taken so many of those value bombs that you shared in that episode. And I've said them so many times on other podcast interviews that I've been on when they ask me, like, how do you have time for a side hustle? I always give that example that you still have 72 hours left after you sleep and work. (laughs) And that's plenty of time, even if you have kids or whatever it is. So uh, I love that piece of advice. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do?
1: Yeah, well, please come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com, just my name. And if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, you might check out Before Breakfast, which is a short, every weekday morning, quick tip that'll just help you take your day from great to awesome.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. Having Laura back on the show was a blast. And now that most of us are spending more time at home and working from home, I hope this episode left you with ideas in terms of how to increase your productivity, better prioritize your tasks, and boost your overall well-being and work-life balance. My favorite gem of this episode was the to-do list. It's a super short daily to-do list that you can realistically accomplish three to five items max. Keeping your to-do list super short and with the most important items is a really, really smart idea to move the needle towards success while also maintaining motivation. I hope that everyone listening today had some of their own personal insights or takeaways from this episode. If you loved this conversation, definitely check out her first interview with me. That's number four. And that's truly a Yap classic. In it, we discuss all things time management. And fun fact, Laura was my first one-on-one guest interview on Yap. Prior to that, I had a completely different format for my show. And if you want more work from home tips, why don't you check out my Yap Snacks Step Up Your Self-Care in 2021 episode that I put out on December 27th, 2020. In that episode, I talk about learning how to master your environment and the touchstones of self-care that can help you stay healthy, happy, and productive. Here's a clip from that episode. I'm going to try to help the people who are naturally messy and naturally unorganized, right? So, I actually personally think that I fit into this category. I have to try really hard to maintain organization. I'm a very creative person. I'm a very optimistic person. I always think I have more time than I do. And um, I'm naturally messy, I would say, when it comes on the spectrum of organization, right? So Chase Hughes is somebody that I interviewed episode eight, Hacking Human Behavior, And he is an ex-FBI agent. He is a master when it comes to influencing others and having amazing persuasion skills. He is the ultimate master at that. And so he taught me something that stuck with me forever. He told me to be a leader, you need to lead yourself. He says that before you can ever influence others, you need to be able to influence yourself, which means that you need to be super self-disciplined. And this is something that always stuck with me. He said that you wear your messiness on your sleeve. He says that he can always tell when he's talking to someone if they haven't made their bed that day, or if they have a pile of dishes in the sink, or if they have clothes piled up on the floor. He can tell instantly if their environment is a mess and if they're wearing their messiness on their sleeve, as he says. So you bring your mess with you wherever you go. You are not your most confident, influential self. If you have not made your bed, if your house is a mess, you wear that on your outward and people will be able to see that and see through you. They won't know what's off exactly. They'll be like, oh, this person's saying great things, but something is off about them. I don't quite know what it is, but something is off And what's off is the fact that you have not disciplined yourself and you have not controlled your environment. So at the very least, what I want you guys to take away from this is make your bed every day. With us being at home constantly, it's easy to feel depressed. It's easy to feel like you don't need to make your bed, that who's going to notice, especially if you're single, you're living by yourself. It's easy to just kind of roll out of bed and roll into bed every day and and not make your bed, but that is not a good way to live. That's not how you're going to lead yourself or be a leader. You've got to snap out of it. So make your bed as soon as you wake up, make it a routine. Again, that's my Yap Snacks. Step up your self-care in 2021 solo episode from late December for more work from home and self-care tips. And if you love Yap, please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcast reviews are by far the best way you could thank me and my team for our work on Young and Profiting Podcast they act as social proof and they improve our Apple podcast ranking. But I know I have a lot of listeners who listen on Castbox, Spotify, Podcast Republic, Overcast. So no matter where you listen from, we appreciate you. And if you can drop us a review or comment on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate that. As always, I'm going to shout out a recent Apple podcast review. This week's shout out goes to Midwest MC. Who says, "A lesson in every question. Really like the format and deep questions." learned a ton from others who've been through similar struggles and now pass on advice that resonates no matter where you're coming from. Thank you so much, Midwest MC. At YAP, we really take pride in digging deep with our guests and we try to ask really smart questions. We do our research and we do this so we can uncover the best and most actionable gems for you. Thanks guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to write us a review just like Midwest MC and feel free to share Young and Profiting Podcast with your friends and family and remember to follow us on social media. We love to see people profit from our work and share content to our social media. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. And now I'm on Clubhouse. Follow the Young and Profiting Club and you can find me there at Hala Taha. I'm hosting live events there almost every day. Once again, big thanks to the Yap family. This is Hala signing off.